Welcome to episode 228 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada, and the reason why I chose that song, All I Need is a Miracle, All I Need is You, is that I just want to break something down for everybody because I've been saying this for the last couple of years that the pinball hobby, the pinball hobby is a really, really difficult hobby to have a successful business in. And I think a lot of people out there in this hobby really have a hard time sort of differentiating their love of pinball and their desire to see pinball companies do well with the ultimate reality of how hard it really is to be a pinball manufacturer in 2018 and make a product that not just appeals to the hobbyist, to the operator, but also keeps you in business as a pinball company. And I think whenever I see the Stern video and I watch what goes into making a pinball machine at the Stern factory, I am in complete and utter awe at the operation and the scale and the size of which Stern Pinball delivers and manufactures and makes their games in in 2018. And I, I wanted to make this podcast because I think something is happening right now in the pinball industry. And I think there is a dark cloud coming over pinball that a lot of people just don't want to admit. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's easy to be fooled by going to a lot of the recent pinball shows, by going on Pinside and seeing all the different manufacturers out there and seeing you know eight, nine different pinball options. I think it's real easy to start to think that that pinball companies out there are doing really well and things are looking up and the future is super bright for all these pinball companies. I don't doubt that pinball is having a resurgence. I don't doubt that more and more people are getting into pinball. But I think the reality is, and this is just part me speculating, but also part me hearing a lot of information and, and murmurs out there, that all is not well for a lot of these pinball companies out there that, uh, that aren't named Stern Pinball. And so if you, think, if you think the pinball landscape is going to look as verbose, as plentiful, as, with as much variety in 2019 as it does in 2018, I think you're going to be in for a big surprise. And this is not me wishing doom and gloom on the hobby. But I think it's about time people start realizing that there is no way all these pinball companies can succeed, especially when they are all competing within the same price point as Stern Pinball. And I've said this time and time again, with Stern having so much of the market share, with Stern having such a large distribution channel, with Stern having the ability to put three, four, five games on the line at a single time, even more games than that, but they'll deliver three to four new titles a year with the ability to have eight titles or more being manufactured during one fiscal year it is no wonder, it is no wonder that Stern Pinball had their best year ever last year. All right, let me repeat that, their best year ever. And they're making games all the way from $5,000 all the way up to $15,000, all right? For the most part, Stern games are between five and $9,000, and they own about 90 plus percent of the market. So if you wanna compete, 
with a company that can manufacture at that volume, at that scale, get those machines around the world, and also have some of the biggest themes on the planet, how do you compete with that? And any company that goes up against that uh, is in for a rude awakening. And I, and I think the reality is, and I've said this before, that the only white space, the only real white space, the door that Stern has left wide open, all right, is the high-end collectible market for pinball. And I keep beating this drum and no one is satiating this. You know, as I think about Deep Root and what they're saying and how Robert Mueller wants to go right at Stern and go right at uh, you know, that price point of I can make a game as good as a Stern Premium or as a Zidware game and sell it for five, $6,000. Good luck. Good luck. How are you going to do what Stern does? How are you going to manufacture at a volume that Stern does? And how are you going to get the cost down to where Stern can get their games? There is no room there. There is none. It, you just, I just can't imagine stern losing out in in the price point where they're currently at to anyone in the hobby all right now the reason why i'm doing this podcast today is you know i really just feel like something is going on at jersey jack pinball and not only like did eric not come on the show monday but everyone i know who's reaching out to their people at jersey jack pinball is sort of getting a cold shoulder we're not getting a response. We're not hearing what is up. Like, how can you do this, announce this on a Friday, and here we are on a Wednesday, and there's still no official statement about what's going on. And, you know, I, I really, you know, I really want to just say that I think that Jersey Jack um, is probably, you know, feeling a lot of the heat and a lot of the pressure you know, they are really, think about it like this. You have to remember, you have to remember something. And this is where I think Jersey Jack made a mistake from the very beginning. Jersey Jack made a game that was far superior than anything Stern made. Jersey Jack, if you look at Wizard of Oz, what is in a Wizard of Oz machine is absolutely bonkers. All that's in it, okay? What did Jack price Wizard of Oz at? He priced Wizard of Oz at $6,500. And then the bomb of that machine was pretty much around six dollars to $6,500. Okay, so the bill of materials was the exact same amount of money as he was charging for the game. So then there's no money for salaries. There's no money for overhead. There's no money for R&D. There's no money for rent. There's no money for electrical bill. Like all the things, right? And we know that story, right? So, so Waz obviously... If you look at Waz now, here's what I want you to do. You look at Waz now, and you put it next to a $15,000 Batman Super LE that sold out, and how much does Waz look like to you now? If you put Wizard of Oz next to Magic Girl, which John Papaduke sold for $16,000, and they all sold out, how much is, is Wizard of Oz worth to you now? All right, and that's my point, is that Jersey Jack Pinball it, it, it's, it is like the Mercedes-Benz Rolls-Royce of pinball, but he wanted to compete at scale with something that was much more expensive and much more complicated to manufacture. And, and so I know people are saying, well, you know, Jersey Jack, he, he, he raised the prices of all pinball machines. If it wasn't for him, Stearns would still be what they were. I, I'm not sure I buy that. I think the cost of materials has gone up. 
I think it is a lot more expensive than people think to make pinball machines. But the bottom line is this. I love Jersey Jack pinball machines. I really want Jersey Jack pinball to be around for a long time because I think people are really excited um, for the titles that are to come. But I really can't help but articulate to you on this show today that I think that what's gone on with Pirates of the Caribbean and the release of this game, uh, I think the way it's being handled, I I think is really, really going to hurt this company and going to hurt sales. And if Pirates of the Caribbean doesn't sell really well, if it doesn't sell tremendously well, what does that mean for the future of Jersey Jack Pinball? Because Jack can't, how do they weather a flop? If you think about Stern, the way they operate, I mean, they can weather a flop pretty easily because they have so many options to weather a flop. So let's say Stern comes out with WWE and it doesn't sell or Mustang and it doesn't sell. Okay, they're running Metallicas, they're running ACDCs, they're running so many more titles at the same time, it doesn't really matter. We have to be coming to the point where orders for Wizard of Oz and orders for dialed-ins are drying up. And so if, if orders for Pirates of the Caribbean aren't what they're estimated to be, what do you go to? What do you turn to, right? You know, Charlie partnering with Scott Denise to make total nuclear annihilation, he needed that. I mean, don't be fooled for a minute. Like, Charlie needed to get a game on the line to keep the lights on and keep the company going. And luckily for him, he acquired a game that has been now the most successful spooky pinball game to date, which is amazing. I mean, Charlie made a really smart marketing move, all right? Now, what is the future of Jersey Jack Pinball? If you think that, like, I think people are are just assuming that there's a billionaire investor that's just going to be in this forever, that he's got so much money that he doesn't know what to do with it. And look, that might be the case. But how long, how long can a company go on without making a game that has one quality and one quality only? And this is the point I'm going to make right now. Jersey Jack Pinball Machines, again, I think they're on another level, but there's one thing missing from JJP Games, and this is the biggest issue facing the company. It's not money, it's not profitability, because all that will be solved if they accomplish one thing. They need a game that makes people go, I need to have this game. While I am alive on planet Earth, I need to have this game. I must have this game. This is a game I will buy sight unseen. And they have yet, they have yet to deliver and market a pinball machine that emotionally makes people feel that way. And it has to be such a, such a freaking moment of like, oh, we fucked up to see Stern Pinball and what Iron Maiden is doing and the frenzy that is happening around Iron Maiden and Jersey Jack is sitting there And it's just like, do you still want Pirates now that we've removed this stuff? And Pirates is a theme that nobody was really like bonkers for. And Keith Elwin, here's the thing. Don't forget this. Keith Elwin had designed Archer by himself before Stern even approached him. Do you realize that Jersey Jack Pinball could have easily gone to Keith Elwin and said, let's make your game and let's theme it something that will make people have to buy it now. If you think Iron Maiden is selling the way it's selling because of Iron Maiden the ban, you're dead wrong. 
Put the Iron Maiden band on top of Aerosmith pinball, and there's no way it's selling out sight unseen. The reason why this game is selling so well is 100% because of the unique and amazing and awesome design that Keith Elwin did. I mean, Iron Maiden is popular, but they're not that popular. They're not a take my money now, regardless of what the pinball machine is. And I, you know, I was wrong because I, I said that Iron Maiden isn't mainstream enough to have that kind of frenzy. And you know what I was wrong is I, I didn't account for the pinball machine itself being so amazing. And, and I'm just saying this because I'm reading people's feedback. Like, I don't think I've hit up as many trusted people uh, in this hobby where all of them are telling me I played the game and it is as awesome as people are saying it. Like, people aren't just trying to hype this game. And the thing is with Stern pinball machines is nobody just arbitrarily shills a Stern. In fact, Stern is always the company that takes the most arrows in the back, the company that people root against the most, the company that people would l most like to see have a flop on their hands so they can point their fingers at Stern and say, see, you need to get your quality up. See, you need to give more for the money. See, you, you did it wrong. And, you know, see, I can move my machine around. It's too light. The cabinets are too cheap. People really have it out at times, but I think Iron Maiden is doing something right now and creating a sort of chain reaction through the hobby where people are realizing, you know what? Shit. Like, it is as good as people are saying. And here's the other part. Stern's weakest thing is code. Do you realize Iron Maiden is going to ship with 1.0 code in like two weeks? I mean, it's going to be pretty much done. All right? Done. None of this like owning the game for a year, looking at something beautiful and it doesn't work right. And so what my point is, Jersey Jack, he could have tapped Keith Elwin. Jersey Jack could have tapped the guy that's making that amazing Nightmare Before Christmas game um, and made that. He could have gone in a lot of different directions. And I think what's hurting Jersey Jack right now, and this is, this is what I'm noticing this week. And again, this is just me and, and, and my podcast and my take on things. I don't think people were like head over heels, head over heels saying, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean was the theme they wanted. I, I think, I think the theme was a miss, but I think the pinball, the thing they delivered was really, really cool. But the problem now is this, because that theme emotionally doesn't grip people because the integration of that theme isn't really there. You know, five movies, no actors, you select from 22 different characters and you never hear their voice once in the game. And now they're removing features. I think the problem for the company now is people are going to point at that move and say, you know what? Now I'm out. Now I don't want my Pirates of the Caribbean anymore. Uh, and and, and they're, it's like they're getting an excuse. Uh, they want to support JJP. They want to see them succeed. But I feel like everyone who really wants to see JJP like succeed, if they were really to be honest with us, for the most part... It's because we always want to get to those future titles. We really want Toy Story and Willy Wonka. Nobody wanted Pirates of the Caribbean in front of Toy Story or Willy Wonka or possibly Guns N' Roses. And so how long can a company, can a company continue to make people want to go in on their games unless they give you the games that you really want? And Jack, if he were to say, our next title's Toy Story, it'll be shipping in October, he wouldn't even have to show the freaking pin, and he would be sold out of collector's editions. 
he wouldn't even have to show the pin and he would have hundreds and hundreds of orders if not more if a thousand or more for that game and and if he just said pat lawler's making it you know so i mean what's the climate like over there now is pat lawler designing toy story pat lawler's got to be a little bit pissed off at jersey jack that they announced pirates of the caribbean so early because pat lawler's deal with jersey jack what i'm hearing is this that he gets residuals or percentage of every dialed in sold so he can't be happy that his game that was just voted best game of the year by the twippies and all this you know dialed in's a slow burn it's one of those games that is going to be a slower burn because it's an original ip but it's still a phenomenal game and then it's like you get your legs cut off from underneath you because you announced the next title and now people are holding on to their money and waiting to see how pirates develops all right so last night last night i sent an email to joe at pinball star and i said you know what i just want to get a refund on pirates of the caribbean collector's edition now the reason why i asked for my refund on the collector's edition primarily because like you know what like i just i still think they're going to be available i think there's no way for me to freeze my money up and as you guys know i'm, I'm in on iron maiden now i mailed a check for my iron maiden it's paid for it is paid in full i mailed a check for nine thousand dollars i own an iron maiden le Yes, I have it listed for sale on eBay for a high price of $12,000. Crucify me if you will. But that doesn't mean I'm going to sell Iron Maiden. I, if someone wants to pry my Iron Maiden from me, uh, they can get it for that price. Uh, but I still am, I may very well keep the game because from what I'm hearing, um, the LE package of that game is going to be incredible. But before I go on a little bit more about Maiden, I just want to say this. Making pinball is really hard. And I know that American Pinball is backlogged with Houdinis. How long are people going to wait for their Houdini as these new games come out? You know, how long are people going to wait for their Alice Cooper Nightmare Castles? You know, I was watching the Spooky Thread this week. And what's happening there is also very interesting. Again, this, these are things that like other podcasts don't always want to talk about. These are things that I always hesitate to bring up because, uh, you know, it's, it's like we're not just going to always cheerlead. And the reality is this is people are starting to give feedback on Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle that's not like the most positive. And they're starting to play it and they're starting to say, hey, you know, maybe maybe there should have been, um, you know, targets there instead of posts. And there's a lot of bricking going on in the game. And, and you either like brick a shot or the ball disappears underneath the castle. But the thing I'm hearing people complain about the most right now, because people love to complain in the pinball hobby, are the call-outs from Alice Cooper. And have you heard them? It's, it's almost like he's just reading a piece of paper. Like he's not animated. Like, like you need to get animated. You need to get voice actors. You need to get people excited. And it just feels like he's kind of in a monochromatic, monotone way, just reading words on a piece of paper. Let me play some of it for you now. Everyone needs an eagle. Don't leave so soon. Your nightmare's just begun. Come on in. The blood's warm. You'll never get out of here alive. Dump the body into the pit. Ha! One born every minute. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't really sort of get you going the way, you know, the call-outs used to in pinball machines like Medieval Madness, you know, Adam's Family. Where's the animation? Where's the drama? Where's the theater? 
And I think that's the thing, you know, it's like creative directing a pinball experience goes much beyond just designing the play field, designing the artwork. It goes into like coaching your voice actors to give you exactly the feeling you're going for. And it's kind of like, you know, they had Alice just read some lines in a room and called it a day. And, you know, I don't know how people are going to respond to that. But now your money, $1,000, non-refundable. You got, (laughs) see, that's the thing. That's the problem. I mean, I really think we're in this weird climate now where, you know, you know, you've got to lock your money in before you even know if you like the game or not. You know, Charlie showed the game. It looks cool. It definitely looks cool, but it's not finished. People weren't hearing stuff. They weren't experiencing the game. The code wasn't even like, the code was like barely even playable. It was like just beta code, like early, early code. And now you're going to give money and say, I know I want this game and I've never even played it. And what's going to happen now? With if, if, if reviews are not great, then what happens? What happens if you have $1,000 in? You just, you're, are you stuck? You are stuck. There's no way around it. You're going to be stuck. And I, I really, you know, are you going to wait 18 months to, for all 500 to be made? If you're number like 380 on the list, you're going to wait a year from now? I, I, you know, and, and that's what I don't understand. And here's what, here's the problem. If you lock your thousand dollars in now for Alice Cooper's nightmare castle, what's, let's say you lock it in and you're, you're in and you have to wait a year to get it. All right. Here's the problem from a marketing standpoint and, and from a consumer standpoint, more from a consumer standpoint, I think it's for Charlie, he, you know, he's the beneficiary of this, but here's the problem for you. So imagine if you lock your money in, you have to wait a year, people get their games they play them for a little bit and then they decide to sell them. And then on the used market, they're not going for anywhere near um, $6,800. What if they start going for like mid 5,000s? So you could go buy a game and save yourself $1,000. But meanwhile, your $1,000 is locked in and no one's going to want to buy your game because they're all going to be buying the secondhand market games. So you're frozen. And then, and then, I mean, you have to, the only way you would ever want to go in on a non-refundable agreement with any pinball manufacturer, if you know it is a game that you absolutely, absolutely 100% need to have. And do you absolutely 100% need to have Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle? That's on you. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that the way I buy any toy is I want to play it and know I love it before I go in. And then look, I think Charlie set up that system encouraging people to play it and make sure they want to love it or sort of want to own it and, and do play it and know they love it before they give that money. And, and you know, he's kind of even exposing how silly pinball buyers are if people are going to lock in because the fear of missing out, how is there even a fear of missing out of anything for 18 months we're going to make this game? Fear of missing out. Yeah, I get it's only 500, but as my friend Iceman always says, 500 is not even that limited. There aren't like that many people who have to have pinball machines only when the theme is like humongous. Like Iron Maiden is a global phenomenon. They sell out, you know, concerts to like 80,000 people, 100,000 people. They've sold 90, 100 million albums. Yeah, there are way more than 200 Iron Maiden fans in the US who have to have the pinball machine. That's why it's sold out so fast. All right. So I think the climate is going to be really interesting. I really think a lot of people have to be very nervous at American Pinball. Uh, I think Spooky's probably even feeling like, well, what, what's net? Like, how do we navigate this marketplace? Um, I also think Deep Root is, you know, I don't know. I mean, they always seem to be very 
overly confident that they can do this and then, and then Stern's going to be paying attention to them. I mean, is there any bigger, like, I mean, Robert, like, I know, man, I just, how is that not, like, a laughable comment that Stern is going to be worried about what Deep Root does? I mean, literally, that's the kind of brazen mentality that leads people to make pinball companies. I mean, where's Andrew Highway? I mean, these clowns are just trickling out like four or five titles or games every week, if that. And every game that shipped has had a lot of issues. How long is Highway Pinball going to stick around? And Dutch Pinball, I mean, seriously. Seriously, how, how dumb can you be? to take eight, nine thousand, ten thousand dollars and put it into a company that is probably not gonna be around. Like you're not gonna get support, you're not gonna get parts. I, I like all the fun, the people having the most fun in pinball right now, if you think about it, which which manufacturers, fans and supporters are having the most fun in pinball? It's the stern people. And then I would say the spooky people are having a good time too because they've got their total nuclear annihilation. They've got their, you know, they've got Alice Cooper. Those two camps, they, they, they're popping champagne probably. They're having a good time. Uh, what's the mood like everywhere else? I don't know. Has Chicago Gaming waited too long to reveal their next title? I guarantee you they did not expect Iron Maiden to be what it is. I, I literally, I, I really think Maiden is going to have like this, this effect on everyone else's marketing plans, and it's going to screw over a lot of people. I, because even if you listen to this show, you probably would have thought Iron Maiden's going to come out. It's a theme that's going to be like a B-list title. I kept saying it. I was like, this is not going to be a big year for Stern. I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. I thought Stern was going to have a bunch of mediocre titles and lukewarm releases. Remember, I said like, how can Maiden compete with Batman and Ghostbusters? I mean, look at it now. Look at it now. They have pulled a freaking rabbit out of a hat and Maiden sales and Maiden hype and Maiden hysteria is really going to make it difficult for everyone else to get money. If you think that there's just enough money in this hobby to have like four, five, six titles all at once needing needing investors, needing buyers, you're, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. And the other thing I was saying earlier on is the white space is the high-end collectible game. And I was having this debate with someone today. And I won't say who it is. They have a podcast. You know who he is. I'll say this. This is what I was saying. I was like, here's the problem with pinball manufacturers. These new guys can't compete with Stern. You can't. Stern can crank out $5,000 machines, $6,000 machines, $7,000 machines with the hottest themes in the world. They can get you your games in, in like, they know the hype window. Four to six weeks in marketing is the hype window. They can get you your game in four to six weeks when the hype is strong and you really want it and then you get the product. They don't make you wait months and years, all right? So they can, how can you compete with that? You can't. But you know what nobody's making? And you know what rich people, rich collectors want? And, and again, I see this class warfare conversation all the time on the threads and pin side. There are a lot of very rich people in pinball. And you know what they want? They also want an experience that not everybody has. If you released Jaws Pinball, for, and you say we're going to make just a hundred of these and they're $20,000, do you not think it would sell out? Do you not? It would sell out immediately. If you released a hundred of, uh, let's see, what other big theme? Back to the Future. We're going to make a hundred Back to the Future pinball machines and they're going to be $30,000. Sold out. Sold out. We're never going to make any more than this. 
again, those machines have to be much better, right? They can't just be like another Stern. But for $30,000, imagine what the bomb would be on a Back to the Future machine. Imagine what engineering could go into the mechs, into the clock tower, into the DeLorean. You know, you could have the LEDs light up as like the, you know, the DeLorean flies up the play field. All the things you could do if the bomb was that high. And I'm like, that is the white space, is the high-end collectible pinball market. And, and if you, if you want to go up against Stern, cool. I'll see you guys on the unemployment line. But I, I, that's where I think pinball is headed. I think all these other companies that are sort of surrounding Stern at the same price point with themes that are not as desirable, they're all going to collapse. They're going to collapse. And this is not me like betting against them. It's just the reality because you cannot win at the same price point against a company that can get people games immediately and with themes that are far more desirable. You just can't. It's like opening up... A, a, an indie movie theater right next to like an AMC that's playing all the blockbusters and you're charging the same exact price and you have and your rent is like equal like the cost of making your movies is the same as making their movies that's the problem right it's like you know Stern's cost is probably cheaper than American Pinball's cost to make the games because the amount of parts they order and their bomb um, you know they're, they're, what, when they order in volume, they can make a game for cheaper than American Pinball can. You know, it costs American Pinball way more money to make Houdini than it does to cost Stern to make a, a $9,000 Iron Maiden. And yet Stern can sell, Stern is making more money on every $9,000 Iron Maiden and $7,500 Maiden Premium than American Pinball is making on Houdini, if American Pinball is even making money on Houdini. See, that's the key. You have to make money. All right. My point is, my point is this, this year, I'm telling you, you're gonna see a lot more companies collapse. And it's not because of this podcast, it's not because of me. I think everyone goes into pinball without doing the proper marketing research. I don't think they really sit down and say, all right, well, where can we compete? Where can we differentiate and how can we succeed and be successful? You know, Rolls-Royce sells why? Bugatti sells cars. Lamborghini and Ferrari have their, had their most successful years recently. It's not because they're trying to compete with Honda. They understand that there's enough rich people out there that want an exclusive experience. They want a pinball machine that not everybody has and they don't give a shit. They're not on pin side. They're not bragging. You guys have no idea the size of the homes in some of these communities and the size of the wallets of some of these individuals who, who simply buy pinball as one of their little whims. That's who I would make pinball machines for. You would open up DuPont Registry and you would see the world's best pinball machine that would come at the highest cost imaginable. And John Papaduke, for all his idiotic decisions, he was the only one who understood and exposed the high-end market to people. He sold out of a $16,000 game without even showing anything. If John Papaduke had said Magic Girl was $20,000 and he's only making twenty. dollars Guess what happens? Sold out. 
I would much rather have a tiny little boutique pinball, like bespoke pinball company that would only make like 50 to 100 games every year or two and charge a high-end premium for that experience and give people you know, what they want. And the other part of it is this. And this is the other thing I was talking about with my other podcast friend. He's like, Chris, you can never code a pinball machine with just that many. And the answer is bullshit. Yes, you can. There's this myth that like it's impossible to get a pinball coder to code a great game when there's only 20 or 50. That pinball coding requires like millions of dollars in investment. It doesn't. And he's like, well, name me games that are, um, you know, have that level of depth. I'm like, look, man. Medieval Madness, The Addams Family, you know, do these games like ha- like Monster Bash? These are classic games that people love, love to own, love to play. And there's another misconception that these high-end rich collectors, that they want to have like the complexity of the code in games like, you know, even like Iron Maiden, even in games like um pirates of the caribbean like they don't give a shit about multipliers and tournament play and 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 getting you know into like 18 different wizard modes no no because if you make the game if you make the game physically magical if you make the game have like that just incredible let's say it marty the world under glass if you make a pinball do amazing things and you, you really get creative with what the ball is doing and how the ball moves around the play field, then that is where the magic lies. You don't need to rely on this like deep, complex code. The, the complexity of the code today exists simply because none of the mechanisms and none of the toys and none of the magic, none of the magic is really happening on the play field the way it used to. We, you could go back and look at all the 90s games had far more amazing and incredible and magical and highly engineered mechanisms and toys that make today's games look pathetic. And so now we rely on code because we have to fall back on the only thing that's bringing the real like enjoyment, which is how the game's coded because there's not much going on else because I don't get like all giddy because there's no shooting star thing like in Toad and there's no disappearing magnet. There's none of that shit no more. There's no amazing like ramps with tons of diverters. It's all just like basic fan layout. And now I need to rely on like the sequence of the lights and what's coded and the music and the call outs. Put an extra emphasis on that stuff. All right. That's all I'm saying. 2019, it's not going to look anything like 2018. And then my last thing is this. I keep reading on Pinside that people keep like questioning me. Like Chris doesn't know what he's talking about. That troll's giving you misinformation. And I saw that in regards to the Iron Maiden LE art package that I said it would be the green airplane on the side of the Iron Maiden LE, the one that's on the banner from MGC. And people are like calling me out saying, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, So how about this? If it doesn't have that art package, um, Let's see. I will stop recording my podcast for an entire month. All right. Here's another little bit of information for you chumps out there who think I'm wrong all the time. All right. And you can take this to pin side. And I, and I love it because people then will, they will say what I said, but they won't attribute it to me because I'm the big bad guy that can't be allowed in this pinball forum. Um, how about this? They're going to be two toppers for Iron Maiden. Nobody's talking about the toppers, but as we know, the toppers are the most important part of pinball machines. They're going to be two toppers. And guess what? 
there's going to be a special topper um, that is specific for the premium because the premium is Egyptian theme. So guess what the fuck you think is going to be on top of the premium machine, an Egyptian theme topper. And guess what? You're going to have another topper option for the Pro and the LE because those art packages are different. So there, you can take that to the bank and remember where you heard it. Not coast to coast, not head to head, not bro do you even talk, not slam tilt, not any of those guys. Canada's Pinball Podcast. Peace out, motherfuckers. Oh.